Turn again, if you will, to John chapter 8. We continue our study of this fourth gospel, John 8. That's along the line somebody has told you you look a lot like your father or your mother. Uh, we were over at Steve Nestemeyer's in action. We began to circulate some pictures of Wesley when he was a little toddler. You haven't seen those pictures. Don't worry, you don't need to. Look at Matthew. Carbon copy. Can't tell the difference. Looks just like his father. Probably true in your family, too. Well, today our study is about looking like your father. Family resemblance. Well, here it's talking about your spirit father. People say to me sometimes, boy, I could have told that was your dad just by looking at you. That's what this text is about. Tell about your spiritual father just by looking at you, watching what you do. Let me read. This is in the part of a continuing dialogue that Jesus has with Jewish leaders who initially it says that they're believing in him, but then the further we go, the more trouble they have with what he's saying. We pick up Jesus as speaking in verse 37. He says, I know you are Abraham's descendant, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protest. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. Now I'm with you. I've not come on my own. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. We'll end it. Two great truths, two powerful truths, I think we should learn from this passage. The first is this. A Christian heritage does not secure your soul. A Christian heritage does not secure your soul. I've had the privilege of living a lot of places around the country, this country. 
lived seven different places before we were married, and this is now our 16th place since we've been married. I've been in all 48 of the contiguous United States, and I've lived in 10 of those states. But you know, in all of that exposure to this great country, I have never seen a place, ever, where there where people made so much of the great Christian heritage that we have. Never have I seen so much of that as I do in the little town right up the guide from us here, the town of Linden, where some of you live. I suspect you all know that, even if this is where you've lived all your life. And I suspect that you either take great pride in the fact that we have a great Christian heritage, or you absolutely despise that about them. Depending on your experience, your perspective. Well, in our text here, these Jewish leaders are taking great pride, making much of their religious heritage. Probably a lot like we maybe have heard around here sometimes. How do we respond to that? Well, there are a couple of responses that we might have that I think may, maybe need to be addressed. When we hear these Jewish leaders taking pride in the fact that we are the children of the covenant, we are the sons of Abraham, we Jews, well, we might respond and say, how foolish of them to think that there's something special just because they're descendants of Abraham. They're no different than anyone else. A lot of that attitude around when people talk about their godly heritage. Who do you think you are? Well, but the scriptures don't agree. If we think that's all a bunch of foolishness, that attitude is just a little of our American equal rights mentality bleeding into our faith. We seem to assume that Whatever God does for one person, he's obligated to do exactly the same thing for everyone. That's not true. God's not obligated to do anything for anyone. God is absolutely sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. In the Bible, there is an exclusiveness, a, a particularism, as opposed to universalism, a particularism about God's covenant promise. They're not just promises of universal blessing made willy-nilly to the whole world. No, God, we read in Genesis, chose the man Abraham and entered into a covenant with Abraham saying, I'm going to be your God and you and your descendants will belong to me and I'm going to bless you, bless you, and bless you and I'm going to lead you and you're going to obey me and trust that relationship that Abraham had with God and that, 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 that heritage that his children had was not had, was not obtained and was not the, 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 the property of everyone in the world. It wasn't. It was Abraham, his children. No one else had such a claim on God. God makes his covenant with whomever he pleases. He doesn't have to make a covenant with anybody, but he did. He made one with Abraham. He says, I show mercy on whomever I'm pleased to show mercy. A lot of privilege being Abraham's descendant. Listen, as Paul talks about the privilege of the Jews in Romans 3, what advantage then is there being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? 
much in every way. For first of all, they have been entrusted with the very word of God. And he continues that line of thought in chapter 9. Theirs is the adoption as son. Theirs the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them trace the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Oh, make no mistake. To be a child of the covenant, a descendant of Abraham, was a great and significant privilege. When we hear these men saying, we are sons of Abraham, don't you mock them. That's about something insignificant. Even Jesus says, yes, you are the descendants of Abraham. He recognizes that is an important truth. Folks, into that covenant with Abraham that we Christians have been grafted, adopted by Jesus. In fact, the only hope that any of us have, that anyone anywhere has, is that God has seen fit to join him or her in the covenant made with Abraham and his descendants. That's the only source of blessing. That's the only source of knowledge of God. That's what makes the gospel such good news. That God is bringing his blessing, the blessing of the Messiah, not just on Abraham and his physical descendants, but he's even chosen some of us Gentiles from the rest of the world, and he's grafting us in. Letting us share in the blessings of his covenant with Abraham that was so exclusive. Paul says in Galatians 3, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, an heir according to the promise. Well, I would caution you and correct you, you who think that the covenant is nothing. You think that a Christian heritage is no different than any other. Oh no, this covenant with Abraham is our hope too. This is the hope of our children. This is why we baptize children here. We believe they are heirs of the covenant promises because God has joined us with the children of Abraham. Don't you disdain the promise of God's covenant. But the truth still remains. A Christian heritage cannot secure your soul. Which brings us to the other <clears throat> attitude which some of us might have in regards to these covenant promises. Some of us may think it's a bunch of foolishness, but others of us may think just like these Jewish leaders thought. We may say, hey, I'm okay. I was born a Christian. My mom and dad are Christians. I've always been a Christian. I'm in automatically. It's born here, child of covenant. Some time ago I heard of an incident at a Christian school. Not anybody I knew. A staff person trying to control a bunch of disobedient, disrespectful students. Getting nowhere. In exasperation, he finally said, I know that you're all covenant children and you're going to be saved eventually, but right now you're acting like the devil. That's kind of the attitude of these people. Hey, we're secure in our status. We're covenant children. We're the descendants of Abraham. Doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we act. We don't like Jesus. We're not going to listen to him. In fact, let's get rid of him. 
Don't have to put up with that nonsense. Who does he think he is anyway? We're children of Abraham. We've got the heritage. We've got the credentials, the pedigree. In their minds, they thought they had God in their pocket. Didn't matter what they did, their souls were secure. They could kill Jesus if necessary. Didn't matter. Children of Abraham. Back in verse 41, they get so brazen that they pit their sonship against Jesus' sonship. This, this comment about we're not illegitimate children is almost certainly a slanderous innuendo concerning Jesus' parentage. But we, wow, we have no father but God. We're not illegitimate like you. Over Jesus wants them to understand that their godly heritage cannot secure their soul. This is not a new truth. Jeremiah said something like this. He said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in their flesh, even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in their hearts. John the baptizer preached this when he came. He said, don't you begin to say to yourselves, well, we're the children of Abraham. I'm telling you, God can take these stones and make children of Abraham. New Testament apostles repeatedly reiterate the same thing. For example, Paul says, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are all Abraham's children. In another place, a man is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor circumcision only outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. All those passages are saying the same thing. A godly heritage is not enough. And sure enough, Jesus in our text says the same thing. In fact, he goes so far as to say that not only are you not the children of God, you're the children of the devil. So he says, verse 38, you do what you've heard from your father. Verse 41, you're doing the things your own father does. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. In verse, 47, verse 47, the reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. In other words, a godly heritage does not secure your soul. Friends, God warns us Christians who by his mercy have been engrafted into this tree of the descendants of Abraham. He warns us that the same truth is true of us. Godly heritage doesn't secure our soul. The passage in Romans 11, let me read a little bit, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted that they were broken off because of unbelief, you stand by faith. You're not the arrogant. 
be afraid. For God did not spare the natural branch. We will not spare you either. You see, Jesus' statement to those disrespectful, disobedient Christian school students would have been really quite different than that staff member. Jesus would say, kids, your souls are in danger because you are acting like the devil. And your actions will show who your spiritual father is. Godly heritage can't secure your soul. Morning, I would not depreciate the value of the covenant. Our only hope is the precious promises made to Abraham and his children. And the fact that those have now been fulfilled in Christ and that God in his grace has called some of us and grafted us in when it wasn't our promises. We used to be outside without any hope and he's brought us. And he's made us heirs with Abraham's spiritual descendants. But it's important for us just like it was important for those Jews long ago to realize that being a member of the covenant people, the visible people of God, having a godly heritage does not secure blessing for our souls. In fact, it may guarantee God's curse. So what makes the difference? Not just our heritage. What makes it different? Well, that's our second point. We must practice the faith of Abraham. We must practice the faith of Abraham. That's what our passage tells us here. Now, it's a little hard to see. Did you ever try to look at a bunch of photographs and figure out which one you wanted, but you didn't have the pictures anymore? All you had was the negatives? You kind of hold them up to your life, and everything's supposed to be black looks white, and everything's supposed to be white looks black, and it messes your eyes up. And, but you know, if you keep doing that a minute, and you look at it, and you think about it, your eyes become accustomed. And after a while, you can actually tell what the pictures are supposed to look like by looking at the negative, can't you? See what the picture looks like by seeing what it does not look like, sort of. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus says real clearly in verse 39 that if they were Abraham's children, they would do the things Abraham does. They would act like their father. But then as he begins to unpack for us what it means act like Abraham, he doesn't really say, okay, it means this and this. Instead, he condemns what they're doing wrong. He kind of gives us the negatives. So we kind of have to develop the negatives a little bit in order to see what it is that he wants us to do, what our attitude should be by seeing what he condemns that they were doing wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, as I've been sorting through that and thinking about that, I think it boils down to two things. Two things. That it means to practice the faith of Abraham. First is this. It means to listen and believe in Jesus. To listen and believe in Jesus. Jesus pointed out that that was that they were doing just exactly the opposite. In verse 37, he says, You have no room for my word. You have no room for my word. Oh, he was clearly and faithfully communicating the truth to them. 
He says in verse 38, I'm telling you what I heard in the Father's presence. Verse 40, I told you the truth I heard from God. Verse 42, I came from God. I've not come on my own. He sent me. But they're not listening. They're deaf. They're not hearing. As Jesus says finally in verse 43, why is my language not clear? Because you're unable to hear what I say. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, who is not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in it. Verse 46 and 7, I'm telling you the truth. If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what I say. The reason you do not hear is you don't belong to God. In other words, listen up and believe what Jesus says. That's what it means to practice the faith of Abraham. You see, that's what Abraham did. When we look back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is going about his business, happy as a lark, being prosperous, making a good living. His family's all around. His father's there, his cousins, his aunts and uncles, whoever. And he's doing right well, and he's lived here all of his life. And God says, uh, Abraham, come with me. I'm going to make you great, Abraham. Where are we going, God? Forget it. I'll show you. Come. What did Abraham do? He packed up his stuff. He left his home. He left his family. Took his wife and things. And he said, okay, here we go. And he went. He listened and believed enough to act on what God said. That's what it means to practice the faith of Abraham. Oh, we see it again in chapter 15. Abraham is an old man. God had made it, said he's going to make him a great nation. Many nations come at him, and Abraham says, Oh, God, uh, I don't even have a child. I don't have an heir. What do you mean you're going to make many nations? You've got to make one person first. So I said, Abraham, let's go outside. Abraham, look. Look at the stars. How many of those stars are there, Abraham? Count them, would you? I said, Abraham, the next time I need to send him something. What did Abraham do? God, you're, that's not, that's craziness. That's impossible. No. Genesis 15, verse 6 says, Abraham believed. Wow. Okay. You believe God. And God, he believed impossible, but God promised. He believed. And God counted that as righteous. In fact, throughout the whole New Testament, we find that Abraham's faith becomes the paradigm, the pattern, the standard of what it means to believe God's promise. That's how we're right with God. Listen and believe what he says. Doesn't matter how impossible it is. God said it. Okay, Lord. I believe it. That's what it means to practice faith of Abraham. Now this morning I challenge you. You see, I was raised in the church too, and I was raised in a Christian family too, and I know how this whole game works. You can grow up in the church, and you can grow up in a Christian family, and you can be busy about the church, doing all kinds of churchy things, when in reality, your heart has never really listen to God and never really believe what he said. 
nothing. Trust yourself. There's never been personal encounter. It's just keeping the rules, playing the game, going through the motions. Have you listened and believed the same? Do you understand what he says about how desperately we need him? That there's no hope for us apart from Jesus? Have you listened to that? Or does that only apply to those heathen out there? Are you listening to his word? And when you hear his word, whether you hear it preached here from the pulpit or whether you read it or hear it on the radio, when you hear God's word, does your heart humble itself and melt before him and say, Yes, Lord. Whatever it is. Yes. Okay, here I am. Listen and believe. Are you willing to risk your life? Are you willing to go out on a limb? Are you willing to entrust yourself to God? Because you know that's a safe place because God promised. And he's trustworthy, I believe. That's what the faith of Abraham looks like. It listens and believes Jesus completely, without reservation, no matter what the cost. That's what the true children of Abraham, the children of God, do. Then there's a second negative we have to develop here. A second condemnation that Jesus uses to help us bring into focus the rest of what it means to practice the faith of Abraham. Next this, to love Jesus more than anything else. To love Jesus more than anything else. You know, it's really easy for us. I think it's too easy sometimes to just say, well, believe in Jesus. You can be saved. That's true. We don't gain eternal life by working hard trying to keep the rules and somehow meriting something. We accept it as a gift. It is believing in Jesus. But do you realize that God said through James, James chapter 2, he says, just be reminded of this, the devil believes. Did you know the devil knows more good theology and believes every word of it than you do? Yeah. He's been learning a long time about God and he believes it. In fact, he believes it so much that he trembles with that. When's the last time since he trembled on something God said? Because he knows it's so true. Man, what a man of faith this devil is, right? Is he saved? You okay then? Oh no, the devil. He hates God. He knows he's true, but he hates him. He works against him. He will not submit to him. He tries to undo everything God does. He hates his son. He tries to get Jesus killed. He hates him. And that's what these sons of Abraham are doing. Oh, they believe all the right doctrines. But they hate Jesus. He just can't stand him. He's coming in here. What's he trying to do? He's stirring up all this trouble? Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendant. Why are you trying to kill me? Verse 40, you're determined to kill me. Abraham didn't do that. Now when Jesus condemns their hatred of him, the price to kill him, and he says that's something from the devil, he's implying that if we were really Abraham's children, we would do just the opposite. What's that? You would love him. Not hate him. In fact, he says it explicitly in verse 42. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Love me. 
That's what the faith of Abraham looks like. It not only listens and believes, but it loves. I don't know a greater example in all of the Bible other than God, the example of God's love itself, which is pictured in this story. I don't know any such example of the love of someone for God as we find of Abraham in Genesis 22. Genesis 22. God put Abraham's faith to the test. And he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, who's a young boy by now. I want you to take this son Isaac, the, the son that God miraculously gave Abraham when he was an old man and no children. I want you to take that son Isaac that I gave you, the, the, the son that all the promises of all of the covenant hung on this son. If without no son, there's no covenant. Right? There's no pomp, there's no inheritance, there's no many nations. Everything hangs on this son. God says, I want you to take that son, Abraham, the son that you love more than life itself. I want you to take this son, and I want you to go build an altar up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice that son. What a dilemma. Every parent knows you would sacrifice your life a hundred times to save one of yourself. What's Abraham going to do? The book of Hebrews tells us how Abraham reasoned. Abraham said, God gave me this son. God made the promises. God is able to raise his son from the dead if necessary. And out of love for God, and determination to believe whatever God said, no matter what the cost. He packed up his son and a bunch of wood on the donkey, and they headed for Mount Moriah. And the only thing that kept him from that sacrifice his son was God intervening at the last minute to provide a substitute. A picture. Isaiah tells us, God calls Abraham my friend. Just like Jesus says to his disciples, I haven't called you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you my friend. That's a relationship. That's love. Practicing the faith of Abraham means loving God more than anything, even your very own son. Well, it's easy to say your children are coming. It's easy to say that we believe in Jesus. This morning I would challenge you, are you listening to him? Do you believe what he says? Do you trust him? Did you do what he says, no matter what, cost, more than everything? Do you love him? You're just going through the motions. Do you love him? Well, are we playing church games? We know the rules. We practice for years. But once we get outside this building, just listening to our friends, looking out for ourselves, doing what we please, trying to have fun, hoping God will stay out of it. You see, if that's what we really are, then we're just like these Jewish leaders, proud of their heritage, but not at all open to God or to His Son, Jesus. 
fact, willing to do most anything to get rid of him, to get him to leave me alone. Jesus rightfully says that they're not the true descendants of Abraham. They're the children. As a kid, there were some things about my father that just always bugged me. I've noticed in recent years that there's some things about me that bug my kids. You know the funny thing about it? It's the same thing. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? They just kind of do what our fathers showed us. We act like our fathers. So who do you show your spiritual father to? Do you just ignore God's word, never have time for it, and when you hear it, don't like what you hear, just put it out of your mind. Try to keep God from interfering with your life as much as you can. And I must tell you, you're acting like your father, the devil. Well, you may be the son of a minister. It doesn't matter. Your Christian heritage can't secure yourself. You see, if you're a child of God, if you're a spiritual descendant of Abraham, the true child of the covenant, then you're going to do what Abraham did. You're going to listen and believe what God says and entrust yourself to him and do what he says not because you have to and you're afraid he's going to whap you if you don't. Not grudgingly gritting your teeth like you pay your income taxes or something. Because you love him. You love him. Did you know how much he loves you? That's what it looks like to practice the faith of Abraham. We show our spiritual heritage by what we do. Amen. Or it'd be real easy for us to look at these Jewish leaders to think what a terrible bunch of unbelievers, a bunch of pagans who didn't believe in this. Yet, Lord, there's people just like us. Children of the covenant, know all the right things, believe all the right truths. don't have time for you, don't believe you when you say something is hard, I want you to leave them alone. Lord, that's scary because we've done that too. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a healthy spiritual self-examination, whether we're really walking in the faith of our father Abraham or just claiming the benefit. But God forbid that we should just go on through the motions and not know the reality. Just believe walk in loving relationship. Lord, I ask you to call us to that every
never really seen the distinction because we want to be like Abraham. 